Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Greengrass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. Now, Bears, etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak and Tom For the second time in three games, it's Bears-Lions, this time Sunday at Soldier Field. Noon showdown. Uh, Not sure about the weather because the threat of snow appears to be diminishing or changing every day. Who knows? But uh, conditions ripe for a Bears upset. We break it down with Super Bowl winning Bears guard Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak, and we're ready for another good old-fashioned black and blue battle. And that's exactly what I'm looking for on this game, Tom. We know the Lions are going to come in with that attitude because that's from their head coach down. They're winning. They haven't won like that in 61 years. At 9-3, and three, the Bears at 4-8, and eight, but arrow up. Yeah, but I think the Bears showed them an example when they were in Detroit from the very first drive, what they are capable of being. But it's about the finish of the game that they have to show them who they are. And that's kind of been a point uh, of that has been preached about a lot since the end of that game through the Minnesota game, now leading up to the Detroit game. So if the Bears can play this, similar version of game that they played in Detroit uh, with favorable conditions in terms of playing outdoors in support of crowd noise and they finish it, you know, the Bears should prove something to themselves and to the rest of the division. Coming up, we visit with White Sox play-by-play announcer Len Casper, a born and bred Lions fan for some uh, good-hearted conversation and discussion (laughs) about the NFL, MLB, the White Sox, and his amazing career as a veteran baseball announcer. Heard on ESPN 1000, the flagship for the Chicago Bears and the Chicago White Sox. The status at Hallis today, Tommy, cost for cleats. Uh, it's been rolled out several years now, and it's expanded in the Bears building to include 100 employees, and they're all milling around here today. They got their Nike sneakers all painted up for their per- personal causes, and so they've really expanded it. It's a, it's a nice thing. The art is amazing. The cause more impactful. It's very cool. But, you know, Jeff, I was thinking about you and I if we are involved in that. And where would our cause for cleats go? Because there's a lot of things that have crossed our life in my 62 years that I would like to pay personal tribute or personal attention to. So I when you when I, I saw on the Bears website the version of the employees on the inside painting their cleats and even Kevin Warren taking a part of it. Um, I think everybody has a concern, has a cause that they would like to amplify uh, to get just uh, just more notification of it. Right. Mine would be for scleroderma, a disease that killed my father uh, back when he was just uh, 53 years of age. So that one always rings true. It's an awful disease and uh, no cure. But uh, a lot of research being done on that. I'm sure you've got a whole bunch, whole bunch big well, time. I, I mean, I would go organ donor because important people in my life have got organ donorship and it's extended their life and it's made them a better life. But I was also part of it when we tried to create awareness for organ donorship after Walter Payton passed away. So there's a lot of different avenues you can go. And so I'm happy that the NFL has expanded the opportunity to uh, talk about the different causes. And we got to give a tip of the cap to Justin Jones. He is the Bears Walter Payton uh, Man of the Year nominee among the uh, 32 that are now in the National Football League. It's certainly something very close to our good friend, 
Uh, Jared Payton's heart, obviously, in the Payton family, and uh, he, they take great pride in it every year at the Super Bowl when it's rolled out. So, uh, Justin, I haven't talked to him much this year. I went in the locker room today just to, to congratulate him, and uh, he works with BAM, uh, a program for inner-city youth. He, he, he lit up. It's important to him. He does a lot of work. You know what? I didn't find out until yesterday that if you're an active player and you win the Peyton Man of the Year Award, that you wear a patch on your jersey that – uh, signifies, yeah. You know that you are a Peyton man, and I, I, you know, I think of God. What an honor it would be to wear a patch like that on your jersey, just because. Um, if you qualify for the opportunity to win the award, then you do win the award. You're doing some fantastic stuff in your outside life of just your playing career. Normal week with a noon kickoff on Sunday, out of the bye week, and that means Justin Fields on Wednesdays at Hallis Hall. A uh, couple of things that really stuck out. We're going to start with one is just what we were talking about in the earlier podcast this week, Tom. This is episode 40. That was episode 39. Check it out. Uh, we talked about what you do with the turnovers after you create the turnover, and that's punching the ball in the end zone. And the Bears haven't done that much with this a recent rash of uh, takeaways takeaways overall they're about middle of the pack in yards after takeaways uh, points after takeaways but they really like to to see that elevate and that's a part of the job is when you get the sudden change guy like justin fields lead the team put him in the end zone let's listen i mean the mindset is just score you know of course the better we play complimentary football you know the better we give our chance our team a chance to win so um you know of course we want to capitalize on those moments when the defense does give us a short field or you know we do have a sudden change moment where they get a turnover or something like that but um yeah definitely want to start turning those into you know touchdowns and you know um for the, at least you know three points so uh, yeah definitely got to do a better job with that for sure was there one of those since there were a couple in the detroit game that stand out since that was just three weeks ago now that you know really you felt like that one could have been a big capital i mean at the end of the day i think you know every opportunity you know we get um we got to capitalize on it so not really just one in particular but you know every time you know that does happen where we get a short field or a sudden change you know our mindset is to go out there and score all right the key to that you just got to take advantage of the opportunity short field get stick it in the end zone well, you know, Jeff, there's so many titles to s- segments of offenses nowadays. Oh, this is a four-minute offense. This is a two-minute offense. This is an offense with tempo. All these different titles you want to put up. You should have an offensive game plan. You should have a script that is immediately used after a turnover and take advantage of your opponent when the defense may not expect to go back in the game. If they're sitting on the bench and all of a sudden they're, you know, you got to, hey, defense in, we got a turnover. So as much as you want to emphasize all these other segments of the important role of the offense, I think offensive coaches should start um, having a script that's featured in immediate turnovers. Inevitably, this was going to be a topic eventually. Justin asked about his future with the Bears, given the team's uh, position in the draft, with which could wind up with the number one pick that is owned right now uh, by the Carolina Panthers at their record, but the Bears get it because of the D.J. Moore trade. A lot of talk about What's next potentially, if not Justin? He's heard it. He's aware of it. He knows it. He was also asked if it's uh, a fair to say, hey, these next five games are part of the evaluation of your future. This was a great answer. Let's listen. Life isn't fair. So, uh, you know, me personally, I'm just focused on what I can control. And, you know, the rest is in God's hands. And, you know, I mean, really, you just put everything in God's hands. You know, it's going to turn out, you know, good for you. So, um, you know, wherever, if I'm here next year, if I'm not, football doesn't define who I am as a person. Um, my happiness will still be in the same place. We'll still be in God. Um, and really just football wise, life stuff in general. Um, 
I think my my faith in God is just my hope in God is just so much more than you know anything uh, that can be thrown at me on this earth. So um, yeah, I mean that's why I don't I don't really stress over stuff like that over stuff that I can't control. I know that God's got me and um, I'm gonna be good. So um, I'm very blessed in the position I am in, and um, you know uh, I think. A million people would love to be in the position I am right now. So um, really just, you know, um, not taking that for granted and um, just, just taking every, each and every moment I have uh, every day up here, you know, uh, to the fullest. So, yeah. Two games back from the injury, do you feel any personal momentum? I don't know. I think I have a different mindset in terms of that. Personal momentum, um, I'm really just trying to be consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, you can play good one game, play bad the other. So I think me personally just trying to be consistent and um, – you know, trying to be better than I was yesterday. So just trying to continually improve, get better as a, a person and a player, and um, you know, just better myself each and every day. Justin, can you take on that, that perspective of some of that's had to have broken through to you, hearing about other quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. So was there a point where you were just like, all right, I got to take a deep breath and just have some perspective on all that? Uh, I don't think there wasn't a point. I mean, shoot, since I've gotten in Chicago, I mean – Y'all don't hold back. Shoot, I mean, I hear from y'all. I hear from, you know, fans and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and I, don't, I don't take any of it personal because I know, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion on, you know, uh, certain things and stuff like that. So uh, that's one thing I try not to do is not take anything personal. Yeah, I mean, just go about it the, that way. I mean, I've, I've had things in my life. I ha I've had moments in my life to where I've wanted things to happen and it didn't go that way. And it ended up going another way, and it worked out better than I, you know, ever could imagine. So um, that's really why I just, you know, don't stress about stuff that happens, and um, um, just controlling what I can control. And um, like I said earlier, just being the best person I can be, and um, you know, striving to be the best player I can be. And and that's the right answer. Focus on just you. Focus on what you have to do to lead this team to victory in the final five games, and and it'll all play out the way it's supposed to play out. I hate the question, and I'm sick of it because there's not an other player that goes up there at the end of their contract and they ask him the same question. In whether you're a tackle that's not playing well, but and you're at the end of your contract or whatever position you want to pick out, and I'm tired of the questions repeatedly being answered because Justin is not in control of that. He goes out there with the 10 other members of his offense and they play the uh, the play called regardless of what the scenario is. And to me, it, you know, if the press wanted to do some justice and stop asking that question and start asking questions that pertain to the next game, because Justin is not in control of that. It, it is an end of the season look at things for a team that's four and eight. And, you know, those things get put in the pile, so to speak. But I'm, 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 and I saw him in the hallway. I said, Justin, I'm going to tell you what I told coach. You're a dangerous team right now. His eyes are open. And uh, I think this is a very dangerous team with Justin being a dangerous quarterback right now. Right. You know, you know, Jeff, to me, I would look at one down specifically. So in the last game, Detroit was eight of 11 on third down, and the Bears were five of 13. So now you decrease Detroit by three conversions on third down and you increase the Bears by three on third down. That changes the whole game. So now you're talking about three more possessions, three more first downs that keep the ball into your hands. They contribute to the time of possession. You think 40 minutes time of possession and they were only five of 13 on, on third down. So to me, the biggest picture is, is how can the defense do better on third down and how can the offense 
do better on third down. Tom, I, I saw an old video uh, the other day of a game at the L.A. Coliseum. It was UCLA against Ohio State 1975-ish, and Keith Jackson was on the call with his color man at the time, the soft-spoken former Oklahoma coach Bud Wilkinson. Remember Bud Wilkinson? Right, of course. And I, I, I was, I wasn't watching. I was listening to it. It's just, it's. T- I, I'm working on the game, and I like listening to these games. Right? I just, I, it's history. I like history coming back to life, and I don't remember all these things. So, as a kid, you watch the football, but now you're seeing it as an adult. It's different. Anyway, long story boring is this: he said something, and I, I turned, <laughs> I turned, <laughs> I turned around because Bud Wilkinson said. Keith, this game is about first downs. And that is what Tom Thayer has said forever. Yeah, The game is about first downs. It's keeping the drive alive. First downs lead to touchdowns. You get a touchdown, it counts as a first down. I mean, hey, the game is about first downs. And that Tyler Scott play in the game, and I'm not just saying it, not picking on the kid for not making the catch, but again, that's a, that's a first down catch in the future when he gets that opportunity, and that game is probably over. And we're looking at a very different situation for the Bears potentially here at this record right now, which is a 4-8. and eight. But the game's about first downs. Right. You know, there's only a couple of Tyreek Hills in the league. And when you talk about a guy that could possibly win the MVP this year with 2,000 yards re- uh, receiving and the explosive touchdowns he has, that's all good and well. However... If you want to go out there and be a team that competes for your division championship into the playoffs and ultimately a Super Bowl, you're a team that wins the amount of first downs and keeps your offense on the field and fights for time of possession and gets in the end zone. So, you know, I've said it, you know, our whole career. Did Keith Jackson ever say, oh, Nelly? <laughs> not, like not, he always not, used to say. In the, not in 1975. I didn't hear it. But, yeah. Uh, that, 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 was the, that was one of his trademarks. Well, that was the voice of college football. You know, when yeah. he did, he did the, I believe he was the first guy that did Monday Night Football, Browns-Jets game at Old Cleveland Stadium. But, you know, it, that he's got the college football voice. That That's all yeah. there's to it. Uh, we're brought to you by PNC, official bank of the Bears. All right, let's dig into our conversation with uh, our friend Len Casper, one of the great announcers in a city of great announcers and a history uh, of great announcers, especially in that baseball vein. Len Casper, the voice of the Chicago White Sox, kind enough to spend some 36 minutes with Tom and I here on the Bears Etc. podcast. Well, on December 4th, 2020, a stunning decision by the veteran TV voice of the Cubs to join the White Sox radio booth working with Darren Jackson, and it's been a fun ride all the way through. And we've got the man, my good friend, Len Casper, joining us, the longtime Major League Baseball announcer, not just here in Chicago, but also in Florida with the Marlins, working with the Green Bay Packers pre- and post-game show. And, Tom, he is a Detroit area native. I guess it shouldn't really say Detroit area. You're a Detroit fan of sports uh, growing up, Len, but you grew up three hours away from Detroit in a small town. Uh, we brought you on for this Detroit preview because uh, I know you, you've probably been a long time uh, waiting for something like a season that the the Lions are putting on the table. Thanks for joining us on the Bears Etc. podcast. How you doing? You got it, Jeff. Tom, uh, I listen to you guys every Sunday. You do a, a terrific job. And um, here here's the backstory. So my dad was born in 1947. On the same day Steve Stone was born, huh. they're exactly the same age. And a little history lesson: the Detroit Lions won the NFL championship in 1957. And that was a long time ago. And since then, they have one playoff win, and that was against Dallas back in the uh, early 90s. So 
my dad has not missed a Lions game in some form or fashion since the 57 championship. So my fandom kind of came from rooting for him to have a little fun with it. And it's interesting uh, after the Thanksgiving game in which um, uh, the Packers uh, beat up uh, the Lions, my dad literally said after the game, I don't think they're going to win another game. (laughs) So he pulled he pulled a a late uh, mid nine, early nineties Ditka. I don't think we'll win another game. That's what it's like to be a Lions fan these days is uh, you lose a game to go uh, eight and three and you decide that that's it. (laughs) Season's over. I've seen the passion of the Detroit fans turn around in abundance. Is it exciting for you to see? Because listen, when I meet people from Wisconsin, I want them to be Green Bay fans. When I meet people from Michigan, I want them to be Detroit fans. So we hold no grudges. But how is this run been for you in watching their build up to where they're at right now? Well, for, for my money, Tom, this is the best Lions team I've seen. And 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 again, you go back to that uh 91, 92 kind of era, Wayne Fonts and Barry Sanders. Uh, They were a pretty well-rounded team, but I I think offensively in an offensive league right now, uh, this is the best Lions offense I've ever seen. So that's fun and exciting, and they play a lot of close games. I like their coach. Uh, I'm just kind of enjoying the ride no matter how it plays out. Um, I And I know we'll talk about Sunday. I I think this is a very dangerous game uh, because of the way the Bears played uh, in Detroit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then the win in Minnesota defensively, they seem to be right now at their peak. And, you know, the one team I think we can all agree we'd like to see lose a little bit is the, that team up north. The Packers' schedule down the stretch is not particularly difficult. And, you know, the Bears could be in a situation the Lions were in last year when everyone assumed when Seattle eliminated them that they would get steamrolled at Lambeau Field and in fact the opposite occurred when Dan Campbell said this is our Super Bowl I think it's possible guys the Bears could go into that game to maybe knock the Packers out of playoff contention you know one last remark about that uh, championship run by the Detroit Lions back in the late 50s our offensive line coach Dick Stanfeld was a member of the Detroit Lions back then and we fortunately had a lot of lessons about that team, about that era, about that type of football, either some of the video we watched of him or that team. So it's interesting to see these guys have their next go around. But, um, you know, there's you think about the generations that have come and gone since the 85 Super Bowl team and the generations that have come and gone since the late 50s championships in Detroit, that it, it was neat for us to get a little bit of a Midwest lesson from a guy who had a personal attachment to those teams. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that you know, I think of the bears and the lions rivalry, um, you go back to Briggs stadium, which became tiger stadium and then Wrigley field. Uh, those were the two home parks, right. For decades and decades, uh, bygone era for sure. I never did see a, a football game uh, at either place, uh, but I wish I could go back and do so. Oh God. Wouldn't you love to be in a time machine for yes. that? Hey, yeah. listen, I mean, that, that, those 50s Lions teams, and I've I've listened to some of those games. I've gone on YouTube and watched them and listened to them, and uh, just what what kind of passion uh, the fan base had during that era, they, they were they were it. 62 is the last time the Lions were 9-3. and three. I was born in 62, Len, so. Right. I, I was one <laughs> years old, so I, yeah. I, I think about that all the time. Yeah. Uh, I just, I you know, I for the NFC North, the old black and blue division, I'm not putting Tampa in there. They were in a, a latecomer, but. I, I really do get up for these games. 
I, I love going to the respective cities. I've I always set told, and Tom knows, and my listeners know, our listeners know that I I never liked indoor football. I hated going to Ford Field when the Lions were a mess. Those suites were dark. There was nobody in them, and it was not mm-hmm. a real fun place to play. A late arriving crowd with no juice. And now it's the polar opposite. You always love going to Lambeau. You know it's going to be an angry affair from the booth down to the field because Tom's uh, inconsolable most of the time. And then Minnesota now with a sparkling stadium, beautiful, and that place is loud, and it's it's a great call there. You know, you, you get these twice-a-year games, and you just, it becomes a fabric of your, of your soul a little bit announcing these games, Len. Oh, I, I have no doubt. Um, I'm a big hockey fan. I think it's like an original six matchup. Uh, for sure, um, you know, White Sox, Twins, Cubs, Cardinals, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, you have all that stuff in baseball. Uh, but I agree. And, you know, it, it it's weird now, though, only six division games. So they kind of take on a little more importance, uh, six out of 17 now. One other scheduling note, as you guys uh, know, you know, Bears and Packers at the end of the year, the Vikings and the Lions play twice in the final three weeks. Yep. And if it happens that the Vikings were to get in and play the Lions, that could be three games essentially in four weeks. Tom, have you ever had a year where you had maybe three games in four weeks against the same opponent? That would be insane. Uh, you know, it's more of a midseason type happening. Uh, you know, now that the NFL has re kind of configured their scheduling to make sure there's a bot- lot of division games <clears throat> at the end of the season, it's kind of taken on a different flair towards the end of the season, which I like. You know, and I like the fact that there's a lot of division games because it can tell you a lot about the Bears season. You know, they should have been beating Detroit at Detroit, so they beat Minnesota at Minnesota. If they could beat Detroit at home and go on to beat Green Bay – that's proving a lot to the locker room going forward, saying, okay, we can go into opponents' divisional stadiums and win games because the only way you're ever going to compete for playoffs if you can accomplish that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, again, I, I, I know the Lions are favored in this game Sunday. The weather could be a huge factor. Detroit has got five wins on the road. That's one of those things where they're a dome team and you kind of assume, well, they'd rather play on the turf in a neutral uh, situation, but in a weird way, I feel like they've kind of been better in those pressure packed road scenarios with wins at Kansas city, Tampa Bay, uh, green Bay, and then, uh, you know, hanging on for dear life against the saints. Well, you know, Kansas city to open up the season. I think that was like, you know, opening a can of worms for the league because everybody assumed, okay, Kansas City at home, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to win. And then Dan Campbell early in the game goes for a fake punt on fourth down, and then they go on to win the game. So I think that kind of set the ball in motion going, okay, everybody better take this Detroit team seriously on the road and as well at home. Yep. No, good point. Well, 9-2 and two over the last 11 road games, dating back to last season when they started a surge at the end. Uh, we're with Len Casper, the voice of the White Sox on ESPN 1000 and the White Sox Radio Network with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, here on the Bears Etc. podcast. Uh, a treat for us to have Jan Len, so appreciate it. I know this is, this is your downtime, right? Uh-huh. Even though the baseball meetings are underway and all, all that going on, uh, and we love talking a little football with you. And it even goes back further for Len because he was – 
pre and post game of the Green Bay Packers and got oh. to be a part of I know, yeah it's, Tom it's Packers it, and Lions. Oh my yes, God, yes, yes. And uh, but you were on the air when they won a couple Super Bowls or yeah, went to a couple uh, Super Bowls. I, I happened to be uh, in Milwaukee working on a with the flagship station there, and Jeff and I compared notes back then, and uh, you were always incredibly helpful, which uh, I'll never forget. Um, but you know, Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren, Brett Favre—that was it. Was quite a run they had, and it was the beginning of that big quarterback run. And um, <laughs> the the other thing too that uh, you know, I mentioned the Packers. If if they get in and play in Detroit, I think that's kind of the Alabama Michigan scenario, right? You know, the reaction of the Wolverine fans <laughs> when they announced they would play Alabama. I think that's the last team the Lions want to face right now because of all the historical stuff that for whatever reason will pop up. We're scarred. We're scarred. I mean, I, I think about that, like you set it up perfectly. And I and I brought it up on this podcast with Coach Eberflus on Tuesday. Uh, everybody listen to that one. We appreciate it. But I said, hey, you guys are a dangerous team right now. You can be. And he didn't go for the bait. He said, oh, we got we got we got to deal with Detroit. But in the big picture, you got five outdoor games. Frankly, they're all winnable. They're not going to be easy at all. The backup quarterback scenario in Cleveland gives them a little bit of hope, uh, but they have the number one defense and a killer in Miles Garrett. You've got the Atlanta Falcons. They're the division leaders in the NFC South that maybe no one will want to win at 6-6. Six and six. Not sure what they're all about just yet, but we played them a year ago in, in Georgia. Uh, and then you've got the Detroit, the Green Bay, and, of course, Arizona. So five outdoor games, and I'm just saying ball up your fists, make it ugly, you know, you're not going to win pretty anyway. This this team is not that built that way. You're going to have to win ugly. And so just be the team that you want to be, a physical, nasty team. But then you got that Packer game up at Lambeau, and it just we're all scarred about, oh, my gosh, got to go play the Packers, even now. And Jordan loves playing well. Right, Len? He's playing great. He's playing great. And, you know, Tom, you mentioned the division games at the end of seasons. If you're the Bears right now, first of all, you're not out of it. Right, you run the table and see what happens. But I like the fact for them that four of their last five games have playoff implications for either both or one of the opponents. That yeah. that never hurts, right? To stack up against a team that might play deep into January. Yeah, I I, I like that too. I like the emotional attachment and the importance. I think though, Lana, it would be different. So the Bears have Carolina's draft choice, and they have their own draft choice. If they only had their own draft choice, I think there would be a lot of people wishing for the Bears to lose so they can keep a higher draft choice. So I think that has a little bit of the narrative to the closing of the season that they still want to see the Bears do well, but Carolina not do so well. Let me add to that, though. You know, the Lions didn't make the playoffs last year, but I think winning at the end of the year was more important than maybe moving up a couple of slots in the draft. Is it possible, Jeff, that the Bears are – in a similar spot yeah, as the Lions, hundred percent. Yeah. That culture, the winning, and all that stuff you, you're trying to establish That's this year. All we've been talking about about this team's inability to close, to finish, to have that uh, mindset of learning how to win. Because a lot of these guys, and I went through the exercise early in the season. I gave up after a while, but there were about four or five guys on the roster that ever had a winning record in the NFL. So it's not like these guys have experienced a ton of success. So you just hope the woe is me doesn't kick in over a period of time, especially with these young guys. But, you know, Kyler Gordon was mic'd up last week or before the bye week at Minnesota, and Tom and I were doing our Bears game night live show, and we ran that. 
And I was encouraged and kind of excited because his genuine enthusiasm and everybody around him uh, was legit. It was there. And that's a good sign with a young team. And is it not crazy? Is not this way in Major League Baseball with 162 of those bad boys. Isn't it nuts, Tom and Len, that one 12-10 win against Minnesota and the whole complexion of the final five games changes because now you hit the bye week, you're, you're really healthy, healthiest you've been all season, and you have a five-pack of games to try to finish the job. And yet, if you run the table, you're in the conversation. It's nuts how this league works. It really is a week-to-week league. It, it's not just a cliché. It's nuts. We're with Len Casper and Tom Thayer here on the Bears, etc. podcast. All right, Marquette grad, PR degree. That I didn't know, but it certainly mm-hmm. helped you pave the way to where you th- thought you wanted to go, and that was uh, becoming a Major League <laughs> Baseball play-by-play man and volunteering your time in Beloit. What was the name? The Beloit Snappers? They were the Snappers, <laughs> All yes. right. <laughs> the, yeah. path, the paths for play-by-play guys is insane, and yours is unique as well as anybody's. Everybody has their own path. Uh, I always wanted to be Ernie Harwell when I was a kid. He was the longtime Tigers radio voice. And when I went to college, I figured I'd get experience broadcasting out of the classroom, but I thought a public relations degree would help. It's communications and it's on the other side of the business, so to speak, uh, from a team perspective. And when I was a freshman, uh, 1989, I got an internship with the Milwaukee Bucks. That was huge for me as an 18-year-old. And this is in the late 80s, so Jack Sigma is still a buck. Uh, mm. You know, Sidney Moncrief was there. Michael was in the prime of his career, and I would go get quotes in the uh, other team's locker room. So I got to sidle up to Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas and Larry Bird. Uh, what an experience for a, for a teenager, and that was immensely helpful for me because I made a lot of those broadcasting contacts that later would, would help me tremendously. Hey, Len, I, I have a question for you because, you know, unless you're California, Ohio, Texas, rarely do you have two teams in the same state in football. Seldomly do you broadcast for two teams that are only separated by miles. Can you still enjoy the Cubs and work for the Sox? Or is your love so one-sided that the other team is in your rearview mirror? Well, it's a, it's a very nuanced question and answer. Um, the Sox are my team. Um, when you get in the middle of the daily 162 grind, you're, you're solely focused on what your team is doing. I still have a lot of friends with the Cubs for sure. Uh, I'm glad they're not in the same division. Right. Uh, it's kind of like when the Red Wings went over to the Eastern Conference because I like the Blackhawks a lot, but it was really tough for me when they were in the same division. But now they're kind of in, in opposite boats. Um, it's a little easier to to be okay with them doing well. But uh, the Sox are my focus, um, and if the Cubs win, I'm happy for them, but it's not a priority for me because, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm now nine miles to the south, as you mentioned. <laughs> All right, well then – so you got we got that all cleared up. And like I said, if people from Wisconsin be a Packer fan, Detroit, um, when you look at the game Sunday, noon kickoff, you're sitting there getting ready to watch the game. Your heart has to be, and, and I, I listen, there's no shame in saying it because you're a Michigan person. Yeah. Your heart has got to be with Detroit, uh, considering what Detroit has suffered through for so long. 
No question. And, you know, my thing is, I, obviously, I hope they make the playoffs, which they should be able to do. And uh, the, the bar is, is is probably a win in the postseason, and then you, you take your chances at that point. But, again, I hate to do this, and, Jeff, you're going to laugh, with, with what that uh, quarterback up in uh, Green Bay is doing. You know, the window is not as open for the rest of this division that it maybe appeared to be a couple of months ago. So I'm not necessarily of the mindset that, uh, oh, the Lions are going to be a 10-13 to 13 win team here for the next five straight years. These things change so fast, and it goes back to Jeff's point. When you only have 17 of these, style points don't matter. It's all about wins and losses. And, uh, you know, I, I just assume that when you're on top of the world, that other part's coming. And I guess when you're at the bottom, uh, good times are right around the corner. Yeah, n- never apologize for one win. It's so difficult 100% of the time. Uh, let's dip in a little bit to, you know, my color man is unbelievable. All right. Uh, he has taught me the game. It's like going to grad school every week. Every time I think I learn something, I learn something more. Or I hear another story because this guy's got zero degrees. He's got separation of just about everybody. What is that, seven degrees of separation? He's got zero Mm -hmm. degrees of separation. He's got everybody. Um, So your color man becomes so part of your life ingrained, and you've had several, obviously, some great ones, and Bob Brenly and Jim Deshaye and working with Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer and uh, growing up, as you said, uh, listening to Ernie Harwell, also Paul Carey up there in Detroit, and now Darren Jackson and and Jason Benetti now off to Detroit. So you've had a bunch of people to work with. I've had one guy. I've had Hub Arkish in the early part of my career, of course, as well, and now I have Jason McKee on the sideline. So, uh, how important is it, and how do you how do you how do you how do you all piece it together? Well, with baseball, it's every day. Uh, so, you know, DJ and I do spend time together when we're not at the ballpark, but we don't overdo it because I really like a lot of our conversations on the air to be the first gut answer, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't prepare him and say, hey, I'm going to ask you about this because I'd rather have his unvarnished uh, reaction. DJ's awesome. He's a great teammate. Someone said to me the other day, and the White Sox lost 101 games this year. It was a brutal year on the field. And they said, you guys had your best season of the last three. Hmm. And I, and I took that as a, as a great compliment. And I would pay you guys the same compliment. Uh, I've listened to some games over the years, and, and, and it hasn't gone well for the Bears, but you guys always make it entertaining. And it's our job to do that, but it is hard when the, the on-field product is not always great, but it kind of forces you as a baseball announcer to uh, dig a little deeper. And uh, I give DJ all the credit in the world for not giving up when the game is 10 to one in the seventh inning, we still have three innings to cover. Even if people have already turned off their TV or the radio. And I thought we had a really good year and having a great partner is what I think is part and parcel to people complimenting you. You know, if you work in a situation where you don't have chemistry with your partner, it it selfishly reflects on you. So, you know, you want to be a great teammate for a lot of reasons, but even if it's about yourself, it makes sense to let your partner shine because uh, it just makes the broadcast better as a whole. Hey, Len. Um, so, you know, Jeff and I, we have to watch a lot of tape because that's the way football rolls and you have to pay attention to your opponent as well as you do your team. You have to pay pay attention to the segments of positions. 
So what is prep like for a, a baseball season? Is it going to the batting cages? You know, what, what is your description of preparation? Yeah, in some ways, guys, it's almost the opposite for opponents. Um, in terms of the White Sox, yes, I think it's our job to be around the batting cage. Talk, I talk to the manager every day, kind of get the big picture stuff, get biographical notes from the players, uh, and just kind of chat with them about whatever's going on. And you never know what small little piece of information that might be really interesting to you that might not be interesting to them, but you can bring into a broadcast. But in terms of the opponent, you know, we have series. So I don't try to overdo it with the other team beyond kind of the basic stuff. And then over the course of three days, you really feel like you get to know a team and a player. So I try to have a little bit of a blank canvas. Um, The more I've done this, the more I realize that if you over prepare, you end up missing the stuff that's right in front of you, if that makes sense. Whereas football, the preparation versus game time is what a million to one (laughs) yeah right (laughs) in baseball it's a little more even and you know every day there's something new to talk about and you kind of build on that as the season moves along if that makes sense oh my great respect for every baseball announcer out there i don't care what level uh because the grind is the grind the travel is unique it's uh it wears on you uh but you do love it you gotta love it in order to do it and you call it like you love it and uh uh, Lynn Bramer uh, once said the same thing about me that I uh, calling it like he's loving it. That's that's how that's how I feel about it, and we feel about it as broadcast uh, crew here for 27 years together and 23 in the booth. But uh, it, it's it's interesting because as the deeper I've gotten, and Tom has told me to do the same thing. In fact, he made me he, he shamed me into reducing my <laughs> board information on the team plane a few weeks ago, and you know. I'm never too old to take a little bit of uh, advice. And so I took the advice, and it's made an immediate difference because I had too much in there. I don't need it. And like you said, when you you lose sight of what's important, I just talked to Kevin Harlan about it at at our game in Minnesota, and he goes, man, he goes, I've gotten away from all the the minutiae. And he goes, people want to know the score, the time of the game, and get a feel for the moment. And if there's something big that's going to happen, I'm going to have that in my list, which I do too. And and I, I think that's true. I think that's true. You you can sometimes over-prepare, but you never know when something you're looking for is going to be pertinent. And so you yeah, hope you, to have it. You yeah, hope to have it in the, yep, hope to have it in the holster, so to speak. Baseball is nonlinear, so you got to be paying attention. There's just a million things that can happen that if you don't see, you end up not talking about. And I always try to keep my eyes on the field as much as I can. I actually have a question for you guys, maybe more for Tom than Jeff. Do do you guys always have the windows open regardless of the weather, unless it's raining? Only if the stadium doesn't allow it to be open. There's a couple like we when we played in Tottenham in in London or we played, was it Kansas City? Kansas City, uh, Miami. Uh, they don't have – and, and I hate every second of it. That window's got to be open. I don't yeah. care. Len, it can be at, it could be 75 below zero wind chill. Tom's going to be bundled up. I'm going to be in a light sweater, and I'm going to call the damn game. Yeah. The only time we I need the window the open. Window, the only time we ever closed the window, uh, we were in Kansas City a couple years ago in August, and Kurt Hassler, the, the White Sox bullpen coach at the time, had a thermometer out 
uh, in front of the mound, it was 136. Whoa. Um, I can deal with cold in <laughs> April and having worked at Wrigley for 16 years, uh, there were some bone chilling days, but it's really hard when it's 107 and you're swimming wow. in your shorts. That's no way to work. Well, and, you know, last question for me is um, we've, we've had uh, two rain delays in our time and you have multiple oh. rain delays during the course of the season. How do you how do you fight through that time? Yeah, we had a tornado delay against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I'll never forget that one. I, you know, the ex meteorology major got to be a weatherman for uh, a couple of hours. Uh, I have two quick stories about uh, weather delays, both on the road, uh, and I invariably there's a conversation during a long rain delay where the broadcasters have this chat. How many hours of your life have been wasted sitting during a rain delay? And I don't even want to contemplate it. But final game of the All Star break. Uh, 2004, I think, or three, uh, Mets at Marlins, and Miami played uh, 4.05 games on Sundays due to the heat. So this is middle of July. We had four rain delays. The game ended at about 11.30 that night. And because the All-Stars had all missed their flights, Mike Lowell, I believe, and maybe another Marlin had to fly on the Mets charter to the All-Star game. So that was pretty cool. And then we were in Cincinnati when I was with the Cubs, um, about 15 years ago, and it was a one o'clock start, and they kept announcing, game will not start on time. We will update you in a half hour. Well, the game got called at 5.30 and never started, and it probably had about four hours of no rain. They were anticipating the rain. So that's always fun when you're at the ballpark from 9 in the morning till 5.30 <laughs> in the evening, and it doesn't rain for about half that time, and you don't play. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a challenging sport. And I had uh, the, the good fortune to do a, a half a dozen games at Wrigley with the help of uh, Len Casper, no question, setting me up. And there was a long rain delay before I had to go to, uh, I think we left the stadium at 1.30 in the morning. I had to drive to Bourbon A to do training camp the next morning. But it was about 75 pitching changes. And I'm like, how do these guys do it for 162-plus yeah. exhibition season? So it's it's – it's it's a, a unique position, and that's why that's why it's such a big deal when baseball announcers get the Ford Frick and they go on the Baseball Hall of Fame. It is a fabric of our lives. Just sitting here, we're on Zoom watching each other, but Tom, I'm, it's almost like I'm listening to a ball game because yeah. they have the time to tell stories. And here's the pitch, and but the stories, and that's something that is crafted over a lifetime. It, it's it's going to continue for the rest of your career. The stories that you'll be able to tell 20 years from now, uh, as long as you want to do it, because uh, baseball announcers last forever, uh, are what makes it so great. And we, we, we help pass the summertime with the voice on the radio. It's different than, than – and that's probably what your draw was too, painting the picture for radio, the story time, Right. It's, I love it. I, that's what I love. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And you know, we'd be remiss before we finish guys. We're now teammates. Yeah. uh, Have the same flagship in uh, Chicago ESPN 1000 and uh, welcome to the family. As I told you, Jeff, when this all came about, uh, it's a great uh, situation, a great group and uh, really good things are uh, right around the corner for the bears. And you guys are in a great spot on the radio. Uh, we appreciate that very much. It's been a wonderful experience with uh, Good Karma Brands. And, hey, uh, we'd like to say the same for the White Sox, too. Uh, you know, a new stepping stone, a new platform uh, to build from. And, and, and we're kind of in the same boat here because 
you know, we're, we're still building here. The bears are still building. And when it, when it actually happens and you construct the house and put the roof on and have multiple championship runs, that that's what we're all looking for. And it was Tom, I don't even remember, but the new England, uh, green Bay back-to-back games in the Trestman era. When we got blown out, I get a phone call from a guy named Len Casper. He says, Hey, remember what you're doing here. You're calling the game <laughs> because I went in the tank after <laughs> we're down 42, nothing at halftime and things aren't good. But I, I often uh, retell that story, Len, because it did recalibrate me. You got to remember what we're doing. We're in the homes, we're in the cars, we're in the radio, we're in the phones of people's lives, and they're looking for a little little reprieve from their lives. And, and I, I get it. I get it. That is partly our job as well. Yeah. You know, you want to be a fan, you want your team to win. But, um, you know, my thing with rules and, you know, your league has all kinds of crazy stuff with replay is – you know, yes, the former player, wink, wink, can say, oh, that was a terrible call. I hate that call. But the play-by-play job is to, to explain why, right? Even if you don't agree with the call, and baseball has a million of them, you know, where my partner's saying, you know, that's not interference. He, you know, he's, he's in, well, he wasn't in the lane. That's why they called it. So you, you kind of have to play oh. both sides of it a little bit. But our job is to tell the, the listeners and the viewers Here's why the umpire or the referee made this particular call. Then you can go off on them after. Tom and I get into this all the time. Sometimes I say, God, you know, I know you're right, Tom. But, you know, there's another side of the story. He gets all, I mean, it's interesting because the, uh, I'm grateful to have him because the guy played for a decade and he's been a part of it ever since in some form or fashion. So it is deep in his soul, no different than Ron Santo was or different than any ex-player that has has lived a lifetime in this town. And so his raw passion comes out. And, and Tom, I think you'd agree, we also believe save it for the radio, right? We don't go over a plan ever. And and the same, it's funny, when we do our TV show, you know, you have all these other people, directors, producers, and they want to know what your role cues are and all this because it matters and we just kind of chuckle because we don't do it that way. Like, yeah. everything's raw. I don't want to know what questions you're asking me. Yeah. I want to react. Camera, we'll figure it out. Right. We'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out. We'll figure it out indeed. Um, lastly, for me, the craft of the call. I know we all have influences from the time we were little kids, even before we knew we were going to do this for a living. And so they come around, and, it. you know, I study the old guys, the, the people that came before us, all the way back to the 40s and 50s because I get a kick out of it, right? They didn't, they didn't have color commentators. They didn't have a Tom Thayer. Uh, they didn't have a Darren Jackson. Did it come natural, your craft of, the call, of your call? Or do you feel that a lot of those influences are what you enjoyed, so you're assuming your listeners will enjoy the same? Well, yeah, Ernie Harwell certainly has influenced me. Uh, what I liked about Ernie was he was always the same, no matter the score. He was very even keeled on the air and uh, he kept it simple. Like you say, where's the ball? What's the score? What's the inning? Where are the base runners? But he found a way to kind of repeat the same information with different verbiage. And a lot of his play by play really reads like poetry uh, to this day. Um, But I try to avoid the big words and uh, I want to make it as, obviously uh, explicitly plain what is happening because if you try to get too cute 
people are going to miss what's going on. And that's the cardinal sin in, in our broadcasting world is for someone to go, what just happened? That's the last thing you want to hear as a radio announcer. So I really dug in on the details. And I just, like I told you earlier, guys, I try to see stuff. And uh, I did it on television where we could actually shoot it. And I would say, hey, there's a conversation over here. Could you get a shot of it? On the radio, I might just say, DJ, what? It, why is the umpire talking to uh, Eloy Jimenez right now. And he might go, well, he might be asking him this or that, or he might say, I really don't know, but it's interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. So those are the things that they only happen on the radio. If you say they happen and it's our job to see the stuff that other people don't see. And I can ask a guy who was down on the field in those moments to get his feedback on it. And that, that to me is the greatest part of this job. Hey, Tom, can I give you a question? Because I know you, you always ask yeah. everybody now. <clears throat> Analytics. Like, you know, for baseball, it's, it's, it's a part of the fabric of it all, right? And we, we are getting exposed to it. <laughs> Tom's got a grin on his face right now, so... Ask him how he uses it or if he believes in it. No, I I think analytics are much more usable in baseball than they are in football because uh, there's a certain, um, you know, process to the game of baseball that analytics can come into play. Whereas in football, um, I I think it's more of a reactionary sport Mm -hmm. and it's unpredictable. And it's, um, there's 11 guys trying to accomplish one goal in, within the structure of a play called in the huddle. I just think there's different than a, a batter pitcher, um, you know, how often a pitcher throws this type of pitch and what is a batter susceptible to throughout the course of his career. So I think analytics are relatable in baseball. It's much more quantifiable than other sports for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like Kevin Harlan, and I do way less than I used to. And the, the quick short story uh, example is, for instance, there's a defensive analytic. It's a team defense uh, number. It's called defensive efficiency. It's number of balls in play that are turned into outs. So it's, it's a bit of a math thing. The bottom line is you just look at where a team ranks and you go, they've been really good defensively. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to say. You don't have to talk about what the analytic is. Right. Just compare a couple of different numbers and you go, this team has been really good on defense. And I think that's all people really want to know, right, at the end of the day. And I think for football, it's the same thing. How many points do you give up? How many points do you do you uh, score? And, uh, you know, that's really all people want to know. Yeah, there's so much to it. Uh, it's interesting. Everybody has a different flavor for it. But you're right. When we're on radio, if somebody turns away to yell at their kid in the back seat of the car, they miss something. So, yeah. You got to constantly be ready to roll. Hey, this has been fun. We could talk for another half hour and 40 minutes. We, we promised 15 to 20. We're hitting at 36. So we appreciate uh, uh, giving us all your time and uh, enjoy your call every week, uh, every day in the baseball season, I should say. So enjoy these final weeks of your off season because it'll fly by fast. Guys, I will be listening to you on Sunday. I'll be traveling on Sunday, so I will not be in front of a television. But even if I were... <laughs> I would sync it up. That's right. That's the only way to roll, right, Big Tom? Awesome, Len. Thank you very much. Len Casper, the outstanding voice of your Chicago White Sox on ESPN 1000. All right, so uh, what we didn't get into, Tom, is his hometown, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, but then he grew up in nearby Shepherd, a rural town, about 1,500 people. So Len Len was small-town USA, uh, loving sports like he did. I, I love the journey because we all have a good one. We all have a good story to tell. Uh, but he dabbled in just about everything to get to where he was. And uh, I, I know I read an article about a guy that he met along his journey coming from Marquette 
that said you needed to uh, do like 500 games of minor league baseball to be seasoned enough to be even considered for a major league baseball job. And he, he never reached that number, but he did what we, uh, some of us have done, and that's you take the tape recorder and you go and practice, or you do things for free, and you, you invest in yourself. You, you pay yourself with that equity of experience, even if it's not actually on the air, actually doing a game. And I, I respect the way he's done about, gone about his career. Well, you know, whether it's you or Len Casper, whomever you meet along the way, I mean, you talk about these guys that come from a small town. The first thing that pops into my mind is a transistor radio. Absolutely. Because I still have a transistor radio that's powered by batteries that my mom and dad and I used to sit in the living room or sit in the backyard and listen to sporting events. And when I think about you guys growing up, that's what it was back in the day when all you guys were kids, it was transistor radios that introduced you to play by play, whatever sport you listen to. And so stuck it under my know, pillow at night and listen it through the pillows. I wouldn't get in trouble for having uh, being up late because I had the transistor listening to a game. So yeah, well, it was awesome. Er- earlier in the show, you had a story about Keith Jackson and listening to the. So I just want to tell you a quick story. So my freshman year, the first game I got to travel I ran into the locker room at Notre Dame because they put up the traveling squad. And I was so happy that I made the traveling squad because we were playing Michigan at Michigan. Mm. And so I walk out early and I come out and I'm snapping practice punts and I'm out in the field early. And Jeff, I look over there, there's Keith Jackson. And I go, oh my God, (laughs) Keith Jackson. And then I look up in the sky and it's the Goodyear blimp. And I just remembering the impact of those two instances in my football life of seeing Keith Jackson in person for the first time in my life and then seeing the blimp above. And we went on the last play of the game, Bob Crable blocked the field goal by Ali Haji Sheik and we won the game. So whether you're listening to Keith Jackson in a rebroadcast of the past or whatever your first experience is in seeing him in, in person, you know, you kind of don't forget those landmarks of your sports life. Uh, never asked you this, but you know, you've always said football or nothing as a career. Clearly you loved sports. Uh, if you didn't make it in football or you got injured and you couldn't play, what would have sports broadcasting be something you would have gone into? I didn't never thought of, I was not going to not make it. I just, I always just, just was I no never, option. There was no option. I had no second option. Yeah. And um, I never even, you know, it's people always talk about what happens if you would have got hurt. I never thought about getting hurt because it never entered my mind. My only was to get better in this game, get back into the weight room and get better next week and never have a, a, a second option. My second option was I wanted to get a diploma out of, in college. And that was what I wanted a, a lot, but I wanted to make. I was I was going to make it in the professional football. Well, you certainly didn't mess around. The <laughs> C's get degrees, but you got one from Notre Dame, and then you went and played for the charter franchise of the National Football League, uh, of which now you continue to be their broadcaster for some thirty years. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, you, I, you I, didn't. You I, didn't I, go. I you know. didn't. You didn't go small. You went. You thought big. You're one stubborn son of a gun, aren't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I yeah. had to be. I'm the youngest of my family. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, thank God for them. Thank God for them to help you. All right, injury report today uh at Hallisaw. We knew it was going to be light 
coming out of the bye week. They felt very good about it. Busy hard seltzer, the official hard seltzer of the Chicago Bears. Uh, Larry Borum, back from his illness. Deontay Foreman, Tom, back from his ankle injury. And he was, he was starting to really get some things going. He was feeling it. He's a guy you need to to give the ball to and, and get lathered up over the course of a game and, for, for that matter, a season. So I hope his return means uh, that they will share that backfield and, and spread out and give it to the hot hand, whoever the hot hand is. And that could be Deontay Foreman of what I believe is going to be a very physical game against Detroit. Well, he's. I think he brings a real physical approach to the point of attack running game. And um, I think he's committed to it. He does a really nice job. And I think with the um, backs they have, it's going to be a difficult choice and who gets the most. But I also think going forward, Roshan Johnson is a guy that's uh, delivered and he deserves more snaps, whether it's catching balls out of the backfield, a pass protector for blitz pickup, or a ball carrier. I'm not going to... I'm not going to forget about Khalil Herbert too, because Khalil yeah. Herbert uh, is a game he can he can rip off some big gains for you, and he's a patient runner and uh, can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, Tyreek Stevenson, good to go, full go Glad with that ankle. It. Noah Sewell limited with his knee. I'd love to see him play against his brother Panay. It would be kind of a cool story. I I, I agree, um, but the thing about him, you don't want to have you know competitive family getting to the way of making sure your knees a hundred percent, because I think Noel's got a long, uh, healthy career in front of him. So be healthy, get healthy, and then get on the field. Uh, for the Detroit lions, the, the biggest injury is a significant one. Uh, I don't know if it's going to keep him out yeah. or not. Uh, Frank Ragnaus, uh, first half of the game last week left. It says here, knee back and toe. Uh, he left what he appeared to be, bent back in that game uh, yeah. against the Saints uh, on that AstroTurf or whatever they're calling it there in uh, New Orleans. Uh, but he's important. They've had – so if he doesn't play, that's nine different combinations of starters, much like the Bears this year. They've weathered it, of course, winning nine games. But Frank Ragnow is legit. He is an outstanding center. And that would be, to me, a, a step down. No, no disrespect to uh, Gary Glasgow, uh, but – this is uh, this is a very good player. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ragnow, you know, he's got a reputation not only in our division but around the league. He's instrumental in the success of that offensive line, and he's belled, he's been there through the building process of this offense and this offensive line. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know which one of those three injuries you that you described are the most significant, but. If you have a bad toe and you can't push equally to your right or to your left, that can really affect your performance. You've always said it. I knew you were going to say it. I, when I put toe on there, I knew you were going to weigh in on it. And, and Walter it, Payton missed one I game know. in his entire career, and it I was know. because of a toe injury that kept him out. And he didn't want to miss. Uh, he didn't want to miss. So, right. Uh, Aurora native Graham Glasgow filled in last week. He could be the guy. Uh, Alex An- Anzalone had a hand injury. He had to leave the game, or didn't play in the game, rather, against uh, New Orleans. Uh, he is a full go as well, and he had 15 tackles against the Bears. You can't miss him with the long-flowing blonde locks. He's a very good player and uh, a key member of a defense that is kind of under a siege right now, Tommy. As was pointed out in the media sessions up at Hallis Hall on Wednesday, uh, Stacey Dales from NFL Network, uh, the Lions have given up the second most points in the NFL since week seven. Uh, that's a significant issue for the Lions. Uh, they lost 
Aleem McNeil, their best interior defensive right. lineman. He has five sacks, and he's he's a terror in there. So it, that doesn't help them. Uh, they're trying to create a pass rush outside of uh, Hutch. Uh, what do you see as uh, vulnerable for the Bears well, to attack? First thing I would do, I would look at Anzalone and see if he's got his hands significantly taped or wrapped in any way that will interfere with him fighting off blocks. And then I try to have offensive formations that I put him on the same side as Irvin. Here's a 36-year-old defensive end that just came aboard who, to me, I think he should be suspended for what he did to Carr in the New Orleans game. But we'll talk about that at a later podcast. He did have a sack. Yeah, but if I could get those two guys on the same side and I knew one linebacker didn't have – one is able to fight equally with both hands and I had a guy that I know is not in 100% game shape, I would get him on the same side with the formation, and I would attack them repeatedly. Oh, you got to level with me because we've had a gosh, so many different players have come through, even in the last few years. All right, uh, if we had a game, a quiz about guys that have been on the team or not, I wonder how we do because there are certain guys I do not remember being on the team, and all of a sudden you look, but Bruce Irvin, yeah, com- he was here. completely forgot about it. I'm doing his, his, his chart, and I'm thinking, why does it keep saying Bears? This has got to be a misprint. I do not have any recollection in 2021 of him being a Bear. Well, you better go to the health food store and get some of those <laughs> mind-enhancing drugs that, uh, you know. I would, it, you know, it would be one of these because I'm often accused of, of also being stubborn and thinking I know what I think I know. And if, yeah. we, if you would have challenged me, I would have said, no way. He wasn't on the team. Yeah. That was just 2021. And I heard he was a really nice guy in the locker room. So it's nothing against him. But when you see the type of hits that they review and try to kick players out nowadays in the NFL or in college football for what he did to Carr last week, and he came back with a back injury, a neck injury, and a rib injury because he purposely drove him uh, into the ground, that should be reviewed as well. All right, so you can't replicate the game plan per se, you know, just do a, like a carbon copy, or can you? Why not? Yeah, can you? Yeah, I mean, I would I would take that first script of plays and say, okay, we went down and we drove down the field in a hostile environment. How can we make that script better? Because you're going to be able to ignite the get off of the offensive line because you're going to be able to be in control of the snap count. You have put Justin Fields in a position of success and confidence. And I think that um, if you've had success in the plays that were successful, you know, you can use them again. You can have a little bit of different window dressing. You can have uh, receivers in different positions or maybe a, you know, a halfback in place of a fullback or a tight end in place of a fullback, however you want to use them. So, yeah, you know, and that's what Ditko always used to say is we're going to run this play until they stop us. And and I, I think you have to have that same mentality as well. Justin pointed it out, and, it, it, yeah, of course, this is the case. Detroit will have a little something different that they haven't seen on tape or, you know, unscouted looks or whatever. Uh, what is it they possibly could do? to prevent what has been happening to them by Justin's legs. He has run for almost 400 yards against them in the last three games. You know, they could have exterior defensive back and outside linebacker rushers. They could have more contained and more contained upfield. 
They could try to have a rush that tries to keep Justin in the pocket. They could take Hutchinson and move him to the inside and have him rush against the guard with a little bit of more immediacy of a tall guy pressure. They could run a couple more line stunts against him. So, you know, there's a variety of things that, that they could do to try to control Justin. But if they get away from what they've been doing successfully – then, you know, it's a little late in the season to try to be someone you haven't been. Yeah, they don't have that other rusher right now to pair with Hutchinson. And I believe those corners, uh, they can be tested, especially with speed on the edges. And uh, that's that's where I'd continue to focus and let Justin do his thing. I think this is a a wonderful opportunity uh, for the Bears to beat a really good team. Do it at home. Get the crowd engaged early. Don't let them off the hook. And just play a bloody knuckle game. I know this Who's, is like, this is how I, I, I mean, I'm acting like the tough guy, right? Yeah. Just come on that, like, you know, relentless, you know, as uh Jim Kreiner, the former head coach at Iowa state, I always said, Jeff, we're going to play with a reckless abandon. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see that. And they do play. The bears do play like that, especially defensively, but I want that whole thing adopted from special teams on over. Who's the guy that got Lucas Patrick. It, it is one of the Aquaras. Now. Yes. I would have I would I would go after him and I would say make sure you keep your head on a swivel because some way shape or form we're going to get a crack back on you we are going to trap you we're going to have a guy pull and hit and cut you at the line of scrimmage just to make sure that you know we're not going to forget about that. Well, let me tell you, uh, I did talk to Lucas Patrick that following Wednesday, and uh, he kind of flashed the damage done. And it was significant in terms <laughs> <Right>. of a <laughs> wait, Tom. I don't mean to laugh. I mean that was as dark and nasty of a bruise, and it wasn't little. It was they they he left the game with what they called a back. It wasn't a back. It maybe affected how he walked and how he could play, but this bruise was. Lower back all the way down the left side. I think it was the left side or the right side of his cheek down through the thigh. It was nasty. Yeah. I said, whoa. It was nasty. Oh, man, I would I would just, you know, put him on notice that you better keep your head on a swivel because somebody is going to come at you in an awkward direction and, you know. Well, I'd feel differently if C.J. Gardner-Johnson was in the game because that guy would be chirping all day and he'd be trying to draw the Bears into trouble. That guy, they miss yeah. him. He, he's, oh, a, yeah. he's a tone I mean, guy on defense. They signed him for that specific purpose, that he's a good player and he's a little bit of a chirper. He's not a you little know, when bit. When he got hurt. He's an all of yeah. it. Yeah, he, he, well, we've <laughs> seen it. You know, There's evidence of it playing against the Bears when he took a couple of uh, well, you know, late punches. Yeah, off the sidelines. Yeah. Who did it again? Javon Wims. Yep. It's still the most unbelievable thing I've seen in an NFL game. Come off the sidelines to purposely Colcock a guy. Tap him on the shoulder and <laughs> punch him in the face. Not I mean, in this modern day NFL. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. All right. A couple of nuggets now as we wrap things up here on the podcast. Uh, we have many different sponsors, including Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Illinois. For all your journeys ahead, go with a partner who's been on your team from the beginning, the one members and communities have trusted for over 85 years. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, always standing by you, with you, for you, through it all. And take a chance. Download the Bet Rivers app today. Jake Browning. 
Jake Browning put on a show on Monday night for the Cincinnati Bengals in for the injured Joe Burrow. 354, a touchdown and a touchdown run. He's the AFC Player of the Week, Tom, and the 10th player ever, ever, with 350-plus yards and 85%-plus completion percentage in an NFL game. I mean, the backup quarterbacks that have come in have really made headlines this year all across the league. And now you're going to see Tommy DeVito is going to remain the starter in New York with the Giants. You saw what Tyson Bajant did here. The Joshua Dobbs uh, run with the Vikings. He is back as a starter again for this week's game. I mean, we can go on and on. Crazy. Well, you know, the, the most impressive thing about Browning is in the first quarter, he had negative .9 yards passing per attempt. And then in the second quarter, it was over 10 yards per attempt. So they went to that lateral screen game because they were a little worried about threatening downfield with him. And then when that didn't work, they said, okay, we got to start going downfield. And then he blew up. So he had that amount of yardage in three quarters. If they would have given him that first quarter to actually throw downfield, it, 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 the record would be even a, a bigger number. Tom, I saw something too. You, you touched something here, touched upon something about the screen game because everybody was, you know, apparently unhappy the way the screen game was um, implemented against Minnesota to try and mute that pass rush, and 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 people didn't like it. Uh, it wasn't you know, it wasn't fun to watch. Whatever, it wasn't effective. I, whatever, the Bears won the game. You know, Brock Purdy and the 49ers are the number one screen team in the NFL in production. I mean, right. the screen can kill you. Let's be honest. It, it can kill you. So don't go away from it. You don't have to do no. it every play, but don't go away from it. Well, you, you know, it's it's really valuable on the road because if there's an offensive lineman that gets off an eighth of a second late, then you can get the ball out of the quarterback's hands without suffering a sack. So you have to look at the reasons behind it, and then you have to look at the type of guys you're throwing to. To me, DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, and Cole, for that matter, are some of the more creative guys with the ball in their hands. DJ is a tough tackle. Cole's a tough guy. And, and Darnell is one of the more creative guys with the ball in his hands. Tevin Jenkins against the Lions in uh, Pass Pro re Revisit. 29 pass blocking snaps, no sacks, no pressures. Uh, again, He's really good right now. And just stay healthy, and uh, good things are going to continue to happen to him. Uh, Nate Davis has also been very good. Uh, so the two guards, can you can you do more damage against Detroit with those two guards, say, than maybe uh, running on the outside? Yeah, but, you know, that's a stat that they've come up with, and now they, they talk about it. But as an offensive lineman, you don't have the luxury of giving up a sack per game. So, Tevin, that's what I expect out of him. Not only against Detroit, I expect them that out of them weekly. So if you go through a season and you think that you have the right to give up six, 17 sacks, go, I only gave up one stack a game. You're not playing for me. So when you talk about what Tevin and Nate are doing, that's, that's why they're here. And that's what you, we expect from them. So yeah, I'm, I, you know, I um, believe that Tevin should be playing equally as well as he did in that game and each week. And I think Nate should be playing better because he missed a little bit of time in the middle of the season, missed training camp. And I, I think he's a good player. 
Good news, Chicago. United Airlines is getting brand new planes with all the bells and whistles like Bluetooth connectivity, screens at every seat, and room for everyone's roller bag. United, proud to fly the Chicago Bears and you too. Jeff and Tom of the Bears, etc. podcast. C.J. Stroud leading the NFL in passing yards. He's the top vote getter at the quarterback position for the upcoming Pro Bowl, which I know how you feel about it, and I feel the same way as you do. But this one caught my eye. And there's a reason why I'm saying this, and I want your perspective as an offensive lineman. So he is second in the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns on first and second down play action, okay? But the Texans are 29th in the league in success rate on first and second down runs. I can't remember what that means. Is it three yards or more on the run? It's something like that. So what basically they're doing, they have to, to do something they're not good at setting up what they do best. Why is that still effective if it's not been productive and he is feasting on that play-action pass? Because it's um, it's a more aggressive, easier block for, for the offensive line. If your offensive line, which seems evident by the numbers you're telling me, aren't a good run-blocking offensive line, then you don't do well with the run game. However, if you can go out there and keep your helmets low and give the deception that you're running the ball and you can be super aggressive at the line of scrimmage and be deceiving to what the defense thinks they're seeing, and then you have a quarterback that can turn that into a completion, then you're playing right into the hands of an offensive line that you want to make them better rather than try to beat your head into the wall and do something that they don't do very well repeatedly. find it very interesting. This sport is something else. It's, it's not so simple. This, this sport I is lo- not simple. <laughs> I love play action. Me too. And if you want your offensive line, you talk about screens and stuff like that. If you want, if you want your offensive line to be 100% aggressive, but they don't have to sustain a block for a long time, then run play action passing, and that's going to help your offensive line develop and your offense to be more explosive. All right, lastly, before we uh, we go, and uh, we want to thank Ticketmaster. Bears fans, you can be there for live NFL action all season long as the official ticket marketplace of the Bears and the NFL. Ticketmaster has a wide selection of tickets available for every game. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash Bears. Special teams. I want it to be really, really, really good these last five weeks. I'm not saying they haven't been, but – Need better net average on punts. It's still the lowest in the NFL. The return game is really not giving a lot uh, by choice sometimes, but you're not enhancing field position so far with the return game. Um, and I don't know if Valus Jones will be up and active, and, but I, if he is, I, if it's seven yards deep, bring it out. I just, want, I just want something to happen, a busted tackle that leads to a 40-yard return, something on special teams and error-free special teams. Well, in the last five games, as the the weather deteriorates, the special teams never become more of a bigger point of emphasis than they do during the beginning of the season. Hot weather, kickers kick them out of the end zone. Hot weather, punters have a softer ball and they get a higher hang time. Now when you get to these cold weather games, it affects the flight of the football. Kickers don't kick it as far. You get more returns. Punters don't punt it as far because of the the temperature of the football. So you're going to have an opportunity to either stop returners or return the ball yourself, and they will play a significant role in each one of the outcomes of these games. Extra point and field goal protection or kicking I don't care about because it's usually close enough to the – 
um, the goal line that you do it. But if there's a deciding factor kick that's maybe 51 yards or back, then it is into the mind of the kickers if they can make it to, depending upon the direction of the wind, the footing, or the type of climate you're playing in at that moment. And don't get me wrong, Cairo Santos. I'm not talking about Cairo. Cairo's outstanding. Right. He, uh, he's, yes, having a pro, he's having a Pro Bowl season, six for six, 50 But when plus. you bring in a kicker, an indoor kicker from Atlanta, or you bring in a kicker, indoor kicker from Arizona, or, you know, Detroit. those types those types of player or kickers, they're not used to these conditions, and they don't like banging that football, you know, frozen football off their foot when they don't have to all year round. All right, Tom, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, so uh, look forward to it on Sunday. Come check us out on ESPN 1000. you got the pregame coverage. We've got Mark Silverman. you got Lance Briggs, El Boogie, and Dion Miller from Channel 7 with the pregame at 10. We're on uh, shortly before uh, noon, and we'll uh, have the entire call for you. Thanks for listening, everybody, to our podcast here today. For Tom Thayer and White Sox radio announcer Len Casper, I'm Jeff Joniak. Please subscribe on the Bears official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tom, give me one, will you? Give me one the way I send it off. Give me some emotion. This is an NFC Bear North gown. Sorry, Lou. Uh-oh. <laughs> I got my dog scared. <laughs> it's scared Boy, him away. Lou popped up in a hurry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Away. I'm sorry, sweet Lou. I'll take care of it for you. Bear down, everybody. <laughs>